Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. It's kind of like how I like pets on Instagram, but not in my house. Welcome to Gen X This Is Why, the podcast where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media of our shared childhood. My name is Amy, and I'm a proud Gen Xer, born in 1977. And I'm her sister Jenny, born in 1974. Today we're going to continue our look at The Crown Season 4 by covering Episodes 3, 4, and 5. This is a continuation of our Time Capsule series in which we look at current media and talk about how it reflected the time that it covered. So The Crown Season 4 is current media out 2020 on Netflix. And it is obviously covering, I think, Jenny, was it 1979 to 1985 or 1995? I think so, yeah. I think so. Covering the Gen X childhood um, and including the, the fairy tale wedding that we all remember. Before we start today, I just want to give a trigger warning. Uh, we will be talking quite a bit about bulimia and may mention suicide. So if those are triggers for you, please turn over to our Little House on the Prairie podcast where, you know, you'll just get some melodrama and Doc Baker fucking everything up over there. So uh, again, brief, brief mention of suicide, but definitely a lot of talk about bulimia. So th- that's your trigger warning. All right, Jenny, so we talked about episode one and two last time. What was your overall thought of episodes three, four, and five? They covered, episode three was fairy tale, which covered the wedding, the engagement in the wedding. Episode four is favorites, which covers Elizabeth's relationship with all four of her children. And episode five was called Fagin, and it was about someone breaking into Buckingham Palace. So overall thoughts. Um, I, I These are my favorite episodes, I think. Like this is... In this, in this season, like I thought that they were really good. I think that it's a nice slice of kind of the 80s, especially that Fagan episode, like the yeah. 80s. And, you know, because our country wasn't dissimilar in a lot of ways to what mm-hmm. was going on in the 80s. Um, so that, that was interesting to me. I thought Favorite was interesting because you get a look into her as a mother and like how her relationship it. with each of these kids which is interesting because I feel like we didn't see a lot of Andrew and Edward. Like we, we know nothing about them through this series at this point. I mean, we know about them now, 
but <laughs> looking at you, Andrew. Andrew's been in the news lately, <laughs> but you know, like we didn't. You just, I, I often forget she has those two kids. To be honest, like I yeah. always just think of Anne and Charles. Yep. Because they kind of, you know, they were first, and they that was kind of the focus. Um, that was my favorite episode. Ironically, favorites was my favorite episode. I thought Fairy Tale was interesting because it. I thought it was interesting that they made the artistic choice not to show the wedding. Yes. Which yep. was kind of strange, but I don't know. It kind of made sense in an odd way. Because really that wedding sense. was seen, I mean, it was iconic. I like mean, everyone I that wedding a thousand times. Yeah. I remember it. We lived on North Lincoln Avenue yep. at the time. Okay. So we're going to start with episode three, Fairy Tale. And I love the way this opens. So the way that we are informed of Charles asking Diana to marry him is we see a series of phone calls between the women. Again, excellent, excellent um, cinematography and like the way this is written and directed. It's really yep. cool. So the phones are ringing, the gossip line heats up, and we learn Charles has asked Diana to marry him. And when Elizabeth asks him if he got on one knee, he says the Prince of Wales is only supposed to kneel before the sovereign. I 100% believe he said that. I have to say something. I was listening to, so in preparation for this, Jenny did a bunch of research and listened to some podcasts. And my job was kind of to watch Diana in her own words, which I watched a bit of it. And whenever Charles talks, this actor has him down perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like his yep. dialect, his, he just has, it's perfect. And I always thought that the actor was kind of just, you know, maybe exaggerating a little bit. Nope. No, no, mm -mm. that's him. So then, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about their engagement because I found out something interesting in Diana in her own words, which is also new and also on Netflix. But those tapes, one of those tapes from the nineties, early nineties. Yes. Okay. She claims that she knew he was going to ask her to marry him, which she may have, you know what I mean? Because she calls it women's intuition, whatever, whatever. Um, and that she had a long night of talking with her girl, her flatmates because she knew about Camilla and she didn't know if she should do it. Huh? I thought that was interesting. And that's from Diana's own mouth. Hmm. So I thought that, I mean, that they only really met, this is not from Diana's mouth. This is my sources on all this stuff. I'm going to be saying today is history.com, history, extra.com and Smithsonian magazine.com. And Horse Illustrated. No, I'm just <laughs> That's Amy's kind Her of source. Horse, <laughs> horse Illustrated. Um, that she she said that they only met they only met about 13 times before they got engaged. Like yeah. they did not have a long courtship. They barely knew each other. And most of those times were in groups. So like when they were at Balmora, like they they barely knew each other. And the press hounded oh, her. Man, like this is something. Intense. We'll talk about this later because my why kind of ties into it. But the minute they started just dating, I mean, you have to watch this special because it's just constant. When is he going to ask you to marry him? When it, he promised it would be on his birthday. He hasn't, you know, he said it would be in a couple weeks. When is it going to be? When is it going to? And she's like, you could tell she's just like, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Leave me yeah. the fuck alone. Like she's trying to be what a kindergarten teacher. She was like a nanny and a kin for kin was a kindergarten it was teacher. Like a day school. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, she was also her sister's maid, which I didn't know that was a deal. 
Can I get that deal? You don't want that that deal. You don't want that deal. You can have your younger sister be your maid. I'm going to sabotage your entire existence. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So we see um, Stevie Nicks, Edge of 17 is playing. Just like the white window. Um, Diana and her friends head out to a club. They're celebrating her engagement. So we see like this young, happy. Yes. Diana. And, and if we listen to that podcast, they were talking about like some notes in the script for this. And it said that this is the happiest you'll ever see Diana in the series. Yeah, I think that's true. All right. So it is decided that because the press is hounding her so much that she's going to go live at Buckingham Palace. I would already be like, what? <laughs> so a couple things here. Red flag, red flag. <laughs> It was interesting. Um, I, I feel like this is a commercial for Diana in her own words, but I don't mean yeah, it to be what the hell. But watch it as a supplement to the crown because it's really cool. She she like makes this big deal about how Charles would call her and say, Oh, I just got off the phone, Camilla Parker Bowles, and she's complaining that there's so much press outside her house, like three or four reporters. And Diana's like, Meanwhile, there's like 40 outside of mine. And I never complained. Not once. Something to probably say, too, is although that's Diana's words, it's only her it's side of the her story. her version right. of it. Exactly. So we don't, we don't, it's not necessarily fair and balanced, but it is Correct. accurate. Correct. From her, from what she felt or what her perception. Well, so in The Crown, they show all of this intense media scrutiny. Yeah, well, and we it, know it that happened. Yes. I mean, we know that happened. I didn't realize it happened before their engagement. Yeah. Like well, the that was minute a big she deal. showed up. That that it was a big deal for a long for a couple reasons. One is Diana was the first British citizen to marry the heir to the English throne in over three hundred years. Hmm. There was a part where the crowd is outside Buckingham Palace. This is after the wedding, and they're chanting, "We want Charlie." Do people call him Charlie? I've never heard that. I don't know. British Maybe. people come at us. <laughs> is this a thing? It's so endearing. I think we have Charlie. I think the only person in the UK listening to us is Steve Buck. Steve, come at us. Steve, tell us what's going on over there. Do you guys he love is not him? paying attention to this. Do you guys love him so much that you call him Charlie? <laughs> he could care less. He is not paying attention to this. All right. So, um, okay. Diana, the first night in Buckingham Palace, it does not go well. First of all, she interrupts Margaret when Margaret's telling a story. Yes. And she gets all the protocol wrong. She bows to the wrong. She's bound to people who aren't royals and who are only aristocrats. And like, it's all super confusing because you have like layers. You have like royals. You have the people who have the HRH, which is the Royal Highness title. Then you have like other royals. But I don't know if there's a difference in type. I think there's a ranking there. And then there's it, like the ranking is like the order that you have to greet them Mm -hmm. and then there's aristocrats who aren't royals Mm -hmm. and then there's commoners who probably weren't there yeah and then at one point she says sir and it's like no you only say sir the first time and it's this the second time no sir the second time is his royal highness the first time yeah it's crazy it's crazy this is part of my problem with like what are you why are you focusing your time on this it's insane so it is decided that her grandmother lady fermoy We'll school her in royal etiquette. Have to deal with this because it's a mess. 
It's a mess. So Diana and Charles don't seem to have a strong connection. It seems like they're just kind of going through the motions. Like, did you see that scene where she's picking out the diamond? Yeah. So I wanted to talk about her ring a little bit. Okay. So her engagement ring was 14 diamonds surrounding a 12 carat oval sapphire. It was inspired by Queen Victoria's a queen of a, a brooch that Albert gave Queen Victoria for her birthday, but it wasn't custom, nor was it unique. And at the time, it was available in Gerard's jewelry collection for anyone who had like thirty thousand pounds to buy it, wow. which was a huge ordeal. Like it was, it, it caused all these problems in the royal family because they're like, "Why are you have? Why are you wearing common aristocrat jewelry?" Like. It well, was a huge thing. So I wonder how much truth there is in that she picked another one first and then chose that one because it was the color of her eyes. Yeah, because the other, but the other one belonged to someone, didn't it? Like yeah. the queen said that. I don't know if that's true or not. Like the queen said that's in our collection. And it's almost like she wanted something that wasn't part of their family. Yeah, that's like that. That's what that scene mm-hmm. said anyway. But that would be. There's 30,000 pounds. It would be the equivalent of $400,000, dollars, not pounds, today. Okay. So it's an expensive ring. And do you know that Kate Middleton has it? <gasps> yeah. William William got the ring. Well, originally Harry got the ring. And William had a different piece of jewelry. And then William got the throne. <laughs> okay, he's he's the throne. And then they ended up cha- switching. And actually, Harry has her dress, her wedding dress. Really? Yeah. So William has the ring and he gave it to Kate Middleton. And that was a big ordeal because they feel like it's cursed or like it's a, it's unlucky. Mm. Or... Would you take a ring that had so much trauma tied to it? I don't know. Probably not. I don't but I also I would. wouldn't want a common, like now that ring is not common, right? Now it's Diana's yeah, ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's weird that you take something that didn't have any kind of connection to anyone. Like well, I'm trying to think. Okay. So let me get in the role here. I'm marrying Prince William. <laughs> he gives me a 12 carat sapphire. It's a 12 carat sapphire with 14 diamonds around it. Do I take it? See, I would think. <laughs> I, would think I don't know if I want this sapphire because Kate Middleton's a commoner. But I would think it was really sweet. number one sapphire is my birthstone. So that's true. Yep. But I think I would take it because it's just so sweet how much William loves his mother. Yes, exactly. Yes. Like that, those kids are very attached to her. Like that, yeah. it, I, I, I didn't know that Kate had it, but I suspected as soon as I was reading about it. And then I looked it up and she, she has it. So another big scene here, Jen, is when they announced their engagement. Oh, yeah. They announced their engagement. It's like in February of 81-ish. So they have that scene where a reporter is interviewing them. It seems like it's one reporter. I watched that. that I did too. Okay. It's one reporter. So I'm interested to know if you have the same thoughts I do. So in the show, The Crown, um, Diana is very much kind of looking at him like she's madly in love with him. And the reporter says something like, you two look very much in love. And Charles says, whatever in love means. Right. And Diana's like, hee, hee, hee. And, okay, so I watched the real clip. You did too. Yep. I think they have so much more chemistry in the real clip than is portrayed yeah. here. Well, yes and no. Like, I think the the ordeal they made over him saying that, it's a nothing 
thing in the real clip. Like it, you could tell he's just saying it tongue in cheek. Like it's not. Well, here's something. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it has some sinister overtone like they made it out in the show. Diana claims that he actually said that when he asked her to marry him. Oh, I heard. Ian said somewhere. it again there. I read it somewhere that she thought he was joking at first. Yes. And then she said something like, I love you. And he said, oh, whatever that means. I think that's just his normal flippant attitude, though. Like, I can relate to this. And it's not necessarily, like, something indicative of their relationship. Like, it's just his attitude. What examples of true love has Charles witnessed? I think his parents are in love. Yeah, but he wasn't close. He to never, saw <laughs> he never saw them. Right. Like, was his nanny in love? <laughs> he never freaking saw his parents. Was, was, was his police guard happily married? Well, I think, but I think there are, in the realm of royalty, I think there are happy marriages in that family. Like, I think the Queen Mother and mm-hmm. George the Fifth. Fifth? Fifth. 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 We're we're like a love match. So mm-hmm. were his parents. Mm-hmm. Like it's which was on her and then he saw his uncle fall in love and abdicate the throne. But what does that mean? To be Elizabeth and Philip, are you making out in front of your kids? Are you affectionate? That's true. It doesn't mean any of that. But I think that as a child, you can tell if people are in love with each other or not. Not if your mom's sitting in a chair watching Nanny bathe you. <laughs> which we'll talk I don't about think you, you could know if there's a connect like you'd have to really be well maybe you are totally unaware charles but i don't think you the people around like if the people in this couple that are around you somewhat of the time are in love or not or i don't think he saw it up close okay so after the press conference jen charles leaves for highgrove from where he will leave for a six-week tour in the morning is highgrove where they're where he wants to move mm-hmm. that's the pl- okay Mm-hmm. It's his love shack. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Diana meets him at the airport to say goodbye the next morning. Okay. So in the real scene, she is crying. And the press took it like, oh, my God, she's crying because he's leaving. Mm-hmm. In reality, she was crying because they had a big fight about Camilla the night before. All right. Right. So Camilla's constant. Yeah, it's this. a huge problem. Constant. When, when you, the person you're about to marry is in love with someone else. That's a thing. That's, That's not, right. not going to go right. away. So um, when he in the show, when he's leaving, he mentions that Diana should ring or no, that he asked Ca- Carmilla, Camilla, thank you, Parker Bowles to ring her. And Diana's like, your ex. Did that really happen? Why? Kind of. Okay. And, um, he said, well, she's crazy fun. She's the best company. She's the best company. Jenny, uh, does anyone think you're the best company? Of course. <laughs> Besides you. <laughs> he doesn't say who. Jenny's her own favorite company. <laughs> it's like, I'm just chilling out here. Um, it kind of happened. Camilla, Camilla left a note, sent a note to Diana, congratulating her on the engagement and asking her to go to lunch but supposedly it was at charles behest but to be fair this would not be unusual behavior in the circle of aristocrats and royals yeah correct 
All right. So for six weeks, then we have Diana essentially alone in the palace, Jen. She's roller skating to Duran Duran. <laughs> you loved Simon LeBon. I did. Like big time. So Jen, she's watching. Oh, she chats with her flatmates on, on the telly. Okay. Or why are we talking like this now? Okay. <laughs> and she's watching some kids show called Bagpuss. What was that about? That was annoying. It was weird. She also keeps trying to call Charles, but cannot get through to him. Then we start to see the bulimia. Do you know if that start started? Like, did she have that problem before? Did that start upon no. the engagement? So what happened is after they got engaged immediately, like the day after Charles put his hand on her waist and said, Oh, you're a little fat there. Aren't you? Oh my God. Or something to that effect. A little fatty oh. there. Yes. Wait, I have it here. Hold on. Oh. The bulimia started the week, the week after we got engaged and would take nearly a decade to overcome. My husband put his hand on my waistline and said, Oh, a bit chubby here. Aren't we? And that triggered something off in me. What an asshole. So it was bad. It was real, real bad. So her waist was, I think, 26 inches when she got engaged and 21 inches when she got married. Yeah, they said that there was, because I have a lot of info about the dress that we'll get to, but she went from a size 14 to a size 10. British sizes, I think those are. But she... uh, like in mo- in a couple months, and it was a nightmare with the dress fittings because she kept changing size. So I want to talk a little bit about this because I have not suffered from bulimia, but I have a close friend who has, and I've met some people who have through my writing. I write a lot about weight and uh, eating disorders, so I've I've kind of have a little toe in this pool, but you know. I don't want to speak for anyone, but this is what I think. I think that, you know, we, we, we kind of know that bulimia is not about eating. It's about control, right? Mm -hmm. She had a very, very traumatic childhood. Her parents had like this crazy divorce, like her mother or her father hit her mother and she remembers it. And the mother was like, super depressed and cried all the time and put like her and her brother in between them in the divorce. So like, it was really traumatic. And I think when you come from, and she was only like eight. Wow. When this happened. So I think when you come from a background of not having control, mm-hmm. sometimes it manifests this way. Cause her home environment would have been very out of control and unpredictable. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking the minute that, Because she talks a lot in that documentary about how she just was not prepared for the level of scrutiny. Right. Like, I think the minute she started to feel not in control of the situation, that may have come up again. Well, that's just my theory. I could be completely wrong. And think about it. Like, she had no, like, they didn't ease her into this world. Like she went from basically hanging out with her flatmates and like living a normal life to like months later being in the palace, being stalked by press, being totally and completely under the control of the queen and the family. She talks about that a lot, like how impatient Charles was. Yeah. And how she just wanted more patience from them 
to acclimate to it. Yeah, it was a huge change. And like, once she moved into the palace, she couldn't even go anywhere. Like they weren't going to let her go. Where are they going to let her go? So, so you have that side of her, right? But then you also have this other side of her where she told her father at a very young age that she thought she was going to marry somebody famous and that she thought it would be an ambassador or something. And then supposedly she told this guy at this wedding, this family friend, like at her sister's wedding, I'm not getting married like this. It's the Abbey or nothing for me. And then she talks about how she kind of where the Royals get married. Right. She want kind of wanted to preserve herself because she knew she would be in the spotlight somehow. So she didn't really like have a lot of boyfriends. In fact, her father vouched for her virginity to the British press. Vouched. Yeah. I promise you she's had no lovers. You know how I feel about vouching. Yep. Yep. God. And it's, they talk about in that documentary how the family really approved of her because she was 19 and she was probably, you know, clean. Well, getting back to what Uncle Dickie said in the last episode that we talked about, like how they were basically like, you can't pick somebody like Camilla. Like you need somebody mm-hmm. who follows the rules and is like innocent yep. and, and, and like a virgin. They don't say that, but that's basically a virgin. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like has no strong will. Like we'll follow the rules and yeah. like this is. This is what Charles picks. Yeah, exactly. So so that, I think, is, you know, there are two sides to her. There's this, I think I'm destined for something, but holy shit. This but I'm also a 19-year-old kid. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you imagine going through this at 19? I know. Oh, my God. And the scene with her finding the bracelet really happened, too. Oof. She didn't find it like that. Somebody told her about it. And then she mm. went in and grabbed it. So that happened. So so let's talk about the lunch. Okay. Camilla and Diana go to lunch. And uh, I have some issues with this scene. But I, I've mixed them up. Is mixed it the shoulder pad? No, I don't like how at the end when they're deciding whether or not to split the bill, Camilla makes that flippant remark about, I don't mind sharing Yes, I, like I, know. The I know. I didn't think that was a good that, thing to put in. That was, yeah, I feel like that was too easy of a mm-hmm. reference. Mm-hmm. Like it was not indicative of how this is script. It felt felt like a different writer put that in there because Camilla knows this world and she knows the deal. She's not going to marry Charles. It's not going to happen. At least at this point, he needs this like you know princess that's like all innocent and shit. And like she's like, okay, this is it. This is what has to happen. I also feel really bad for Camilla in this scene. Yeah, but Camilla, like, she basically signed up for this. Like, her family, well, her family did. They agreed that she would get married to Andrew and, like, Charles was gone. And, like, this, she's accept. I feel like Camilla has accepted the fate where Charles has not. She knows she'll never be the one. Although she is now. (laughs) When she talks about, like, just the things that she knows about him... It's they're sad. very close. Yeah, it's they're sad. very close. Like they're a good match. They're a good match, and she's in love with him. But that happened all the time. Yeah, around like that happened with. Although I don't think they were a good match. Peter Peter Townsend is that his name, or is that the guy from the Who? No, it's Peter Townsend. Is that also the guy from yep. the Who? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm like it's I'm afraid I'm Morgan. Like, 
So like it's Peter, it's Peter, like it was Peter Townsend and Margaret. You know, like I don't know if they were necessarily a great match. And then you had David and what's her name, Wallace Simpson. Okay. So any other notes on the lunch? Well, I thought it was interesting that Camilla picks the place and kind of like orchestrates the whole thing. Like she's on familiar turf. She picks the place. She knows the people that run it. Like Diana's out of her, out of her comfort zone here. And I feel like that was, Mm -hmm. if that's what happened, I feel like that was kind, I don't know. I thought that was kind of shitty of Camilla to do. To like, but then I'm like, Diana's an aristocrat. Like she should be comfortable in these settings. Like it, it, yeah. Camilla would have never gone someplace common. Like that would have been worse. That would have been a worse gesture. So it's like, yeah. why? But maybe pick a place where she's less familiar. So they're kind of both a little bit out of their comfort zone. Would have been a better choice. Yeah, because it feels yeah. like it's Camilla's True. turf. You know what I mean? If like she's. And that's it. It meddles the the metaphor of like she knows Charles like this too. Like she's the knowing, and you're the outsider, yeah. and you don't know what's going on here. I, I just it was it was a tough scene. Yeah, it I felt tough. bad for Diana. And Diana's like, I mean, this is all the show, of course, but she's like trying to dress older than she is, you know. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, mm-hmm. girl. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this is also where she learns about their nicknames, Fred and Gladys. Which is so stupid, but okay. So weird. Okay. So she goes home and she's freaking out. She's trying to get in touch with the queen. Nobody's returning her calls. And she's screaming like it's over. It's done. Because this is where she finds the bracelet in the show. And it says F and G. Now she knows that's Fred and Gladys. Um, So in, in reality, what happened is she went to her sister's and she was crying and telling them about it and her sister said well like you're already on the napkins (laughs) like it's too late now oh that's the exact wrong advice Mm -hmm. all right so we see charles finally return home from his tour and instead of going home he goes to high grow doesn't he find out she she finds out that he goes there and she thought he was gone an extra day then we see the silhouette of a smoking Camilla seeing him off in the morning. So they have a confrontation about this at their wedding rehearsal. Charles says he went to Highgrove to tell Camilla it's over and that the bracelet was a parting gift. And then he gives her a signet ring for the Princess of Wales. Yeah. Margaret, by the way, spying this whole thing with her evil Oh, yeah. Eye. Of course. Well, she knows. I mean, if there's something Margaret knows mm-hmm. about cheating men. Back at the palace, Margaret voices her opposition to this, saying Charles is in love with somebody else. And how many how times many is this family going to make this Are we going to do this? But this mm-hmm. was, I mean, this, where was Margaret when they were back channeling this whole thing? That's where, that's when this needed to be stopped. Yep. So Philip says something interesting here that I think is a little autobiographical. Mm-hmm. He says, as... Diana grows, and as she matures, he will begin to love her. He will see the woman that she becomes, and he will begin to love her. Red fucking flag. If you have to wait <laughs> for your spouse to grow up to love them, you are marrying somebody too young. <laughs> too young, too young. But Jen, she has the seal of virginity guaranteed by her father. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. 
So they seem resigned to him having an affair, and the queen mom actually says, this is how it's always worked. Yeah, kind of, she said that, but she would have beaten, she almost did, like, kill Philip when she thought he was having an affair. Then we have the end scene, and it's very sad. Elizabeth goes to confront Charles, and she tells him the story of her grandmother, Queen Mary, and how her true love's brother, how her true love died, and they married her off to his younger brother. And they weren't in love, but they stuck it out and they made a life for the good of the monarchy. This is her grandmother. She gives him the old, for the love and duty of the crown, you need to do this. And he just looks at her and like, he's crying. And I felt bad. Let me find out who that is. This this is Elizabeth's grandfather? Pause. Okay, we're back. So it was Mary of Tech. So Albert died a few weeks before their wedding during the influenza pandemic of 1891 to 92. During her, This is from biography.com. During her mourning period, Albert's brother, Prince George, Duke of York, became close to Mary. And in May 1893, he proposed. They were married in July of that year and went on to have six children. Yeah, sad. But that's how a lot okay. of those marriages so, happen. A lot of them were marriages of convenience and, and like business deals, basically. So Elizabeth's saying, like, yo, dude, you gotta do yeah, this. Yeah, like, it is it is a luxury that they don't usually have, is to marry for love. So at the end, we only see Diana in her dress getting ready to go to the church. They don't show the wedding. They just show the veil. The veil, the, the the veil that was, like, 40 feet long. The train was 25 feet long. The veil was 40 feet long. Yeah. And we only see that. We don't see the wedding. Which I guess makes sense. Everyone saw the wedding. Everybody I know, but like, I, I don't know. I thought that was like a bold move. It wasn't that exciting. I mean, it was pretty exciting. I watched it again today. It I wasn't mean, it that exciting. It wasn't exciting in that, you know, it's slow moving. It's But like, it was a big fucking deal. I don't understand why it was such a big deal. Like, I get that it was a big deal, but I don't remember it being that big of a deal with William McCain. It Kate. totally wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. Yeah, so it why just was this? Such a, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with like the way the media environment was then versus now. Some of the reporters, cause you have to watch that special. They show a lot of the original reporting. They were saying like London needs this yeah. right now. Like it was in a big um, depression. Yeah. And I think the, I mean the Royals, I think, you know, it was just a different time then. I think they're less focused on it now. It's like, you know, it's not as big a deal, but there was 75, 75- 750 million people in 75 countries watched that. That's crazy. Including two little girls in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. They had 2,600 guests. And it's ironic that she talks about the Abbey because they didn't get married in the Abbey. Yes, they did. No, they didn't. They got married in the um, St. What's the name of it? Hold on. St. Paul's Cathedral. I thought they just had their rehearsal there. They got married in St. Paul's Cathedral because it was bigger. Get married in the Abbey. They did. The Abbey's small, so they got married in. I mean, sm- relatively small. You could fit three thousand guests in St. Paul's, and they also that was a longer ride around London to get to. So they did like a longer kind of like parade, going around London. I read somewhere too, but I didn't see any other. I didn't see it anywhere else that I could back it up that they wanted to get married at St. Paul's 
because they were thinking like she was going to be the people's princess. Like she wanted to relate more to the common person. But like from what you said in her thing, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true either. Yeah. The last Royal wedding to be in uh, St. Paul's was the Prince Arthur, who was the son of Henry the seventh in 1501. Wow. So it was a long time ago. Okay. Do you have any other notes on that? I have that the cost of their wedding was a hundred was 48 million pounds, which is the equivalent of $135 million today. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, to be fair, they had a lot of that was security because they were so afraid of threats from the IRA at the time. Okay. So the security detail was insane. Kate and Williams and Megan and Harry's, they were all in like the 20 million pound range. So this was astronomical even compared to those. Did Margaret Thatcher go? Yes, she did. And you know who else went? Who? Camilla. Camilla, yeah. Well, that, that again, that would not have been unusual yeah. in those circles. Yeah. Like, that's totally. Um, Diane called him by the wrong name in her vows. Ooh. Oh, yeah, she did. I caught that. <laughs> she called him Philip Charles. Yeah, she called him Philip Charles Arthur George instead of Charles Philip Arthur yes, George. I caught that. Thought that was interesting. I, mistake I was make. I get like mixing up the middle names or something, but like, how do you get the first name wrong? Here's how bored I was. I watched the whole wedding again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then Charles forgot to kiss her at the end. Oh boy. So um, at the end of the ceremony, so he kissed her when they appeared on the balcony at yes. Buckingham Palace, starting that whole tradition. Yes, which is when everyone was chanting Charlie, Charlie. Charlie. Yes, that was a thing. I don't even know what to I think of that. Honestly, I think now they're just really disappointed in him, so we don't see this anymore. <laughs> oh my God. The man who will never be king. Yeah. But theirs was the first televised wedding, royal wedding. Wasn't Elizabeth's? She No, her wedding wasn't televised. That was her coronation. Her coronation. Yeah. yeah. Margaret and Tony Armstrong's. Oh, okay. Was this was the embodiment. Of that whole, I want to grow up and be a princess shit oh, that yeah. we were fed as kids. Oh, yeah. Like, this was it. Yeah, and we, I think that's why, I think that's another reason why the craze was so much with Diana. was like, this was that story. Like, you know, like with Harry and Meghan and, and Kate, they're all great and everything. But like, you know, they got married in their 30s and like, like, like you know, like much later in life. They had careers that, you know, like it's it's a different. This was like she was plucked from like obscure her childhood home and like made a princess, you know. All right. So that takes us to episode four called Favorites. In the beginning of this episode, we see the Argentine Argentine scrap workers come to blow with blows with some Brits and it's the beginning of the conflict in the Falklands because the Argentinians are is it the Argentines or the Argentinians I think it's the Argentinians the Argentinians are trespassing on the British yeah. territory right which is on in Argentina right but anyway this is this is colonialism <laughs> so we have this starting to to brew in the background. In the Falcons. That's in the Falcons, right? Then we have Mark Thatcher, son of Margaret Thatcher, goes missing during a race in France. Okay. Margaret is distraught. And in her meeting with the queen, she openly calls Mark her favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> and Elizabeth is stunned. And this makes her re-examine her relationship with her own children in an attempt to prove to Philip and to maybe herself that she doesn't have a favorite. So Elizabeth 
is stunned and every parent on earth is like, oh yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Well, Philip's like, oh yeah, I have a favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, how did you answer that so quickly? He's like, because it's Anne. (laughs) Like, isn't it obvious? So, and Jenny, I'm going to say this right up front. I am not going to reveal if I have a favorite, so don't even ask. I wasn't going to. I'm just putting you there. Okay. I feel like it probably changes. It does. It really, really does. Like day by day, maybe. Yep. So Elizabeth decides to set up meetings with all four of her children and asks Charteris for a fact sheet on all of them before they come. She asks who for a fact sheet? Isn't his name Chartis? Charteris? Who's her? Is that her? Is that her secretary dude? Who's her secretary dude? No, I just didn't hear what you said. I thought you said I'm Charles Spider Spider-Man. Why? Why? <laughs> okay. Edward is... Okay, so Edward shows up first. Yes. I want to say something here, okay? Just really quick. My husband's family is set up almost exactly the same way. They have a boy and a girl, and then 12 or 11 years later, they had... The twins, which are my husband and his twin sister. It is like having two different families. Oh, yeah. These these sets of children have very different upbringings. Yeah. Like, first of all, my in-laws were much more secure financially when they had my husband and his twin. So they were able to do things like go on vacation or do this or do that, where they were still struggling to make their life when they had their older siblings. The older siblings watched the younger siblings a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, my husband looks to his brother almost like a father figure in some ways. So I can totally relate to this idea that Edward and Andrew are like, they've had a totally different existence. And Elizabeth talks about this. But it's interesting because they seem to allude to... Elizabeth, like that Edward and Andrew actually got more attention and focus. Because she said she was ready to be a mother by the time she had them. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. It really does. Like I always say, I had my kids when I was 30. I'm always like, if I had a kid now, I would own it. Like I would kill it. You'd kill it? I would I would own it. I'd be awesome. I would like make no mistakes. Because I'm like 43. I'm yeah, you know what I mean? Um, so I can't imagine having a kid like 21, which well, it's also like 21, but it's also not your first kid. Like, right. I think even if I had a kid now, oh God, I mean, I'm <laughs> quite old for that. It's still my first kid. Like, I think there's a certain benefit to like, you're older, but you also have done this yeah. and you've learned all oh, the yeah, lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Like, I think you might make better decisions when you're older. Actually, I know that being raised by parents in their early 20s, I could guarantee you're going to make better decisions than they did. So I I thought it was interesting, though, to see how different these children are through that lens. Yeah. Like, well, I think that is it possible that Andrew and Edward are more spoiled? They seem like they are. Yes, I think so. Which one came in on the helicopter? Is that Edward? Andrew. Oh, my God. Well, don't forget... um, Elizabeth, was she queen when she had Philip? Yeah. Or when she had Charles? She wasn't queen yet. No, 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 no. She wasn't queen when she had Edward and Andrew were raised by the queen. Yeah. Well, were any of them really raised by the queen? (laughs) (laughs) Was your nanny a queen? (laughs) Well, when when they were like, she's sitting nearby watching 
another woman bathe us when we were children. I'm like, that would have been me a hundred percent. Like, like I, I, I'll watch from over here. It's kind of like how I like pets on Instagram, but not in my house. Yes. So let's talk about Edward. Edward is quiet and somewhat cynical. Somewhat. He talks about the other kids at school bullying him and it's made him kind of like hard. Yeah. And I did look up and Edward is actually rumored to be the closest to the parents now. Yes. Like he and his uh, wife are like, yep, super close to them. And he's had some like weird failed businesses, notably Ardent Productions, which was like a big television production thing. But he's worth he's worth forty five million dollars. Wow. Andrew and Edward got into all kinds of crazy shit. Andrew shows up in a Royal Army helicopter making an obnoxious entrance. What a dick bag. Dick bag. Which, surprise, surprise, matches his personality. But there's something about him, Jenny, that charms his mother. Yes. Do you notice that? Yep. He likes her salmon. He makes jokes about royal titles. And he even well, he's jokes. Play, like he's a planner. He's a player. Yes. And he's he even jokes about some some actress he's dating making a movie about seducing 17 year olds. Is that a nod to the Epstein thing? <laughs> Maybe. Right. Um, so Elizabeth kind of worries about him because <laughs> I would, she, she doesn't think he takes his future serious enough. No. So he's kind of like, like the bratty fun one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then we have Anne. Anne's fucking miserable at this point. <laughs> And Anne's miserable when she's happy. So yeah. you can, like, this is dark. She has yeah. some kids, but we find out that she's having an affair. And Elizabeth basically just tells her to suck it up. <laughs> yeah. And on the podcast, Pita Morgan talked about how Anne is living the life that Elizabeth secretly wants. Yeah. And she's disappointed in Anne for throwing it away. That's how he wrote it to play. She has a very different relationship with Anne, her only daughter, than she does with her sons. Yeah, there's throughout this season, I feel like there's her trying to connect with Anne and it doesn't work. Well, and I think she has little, like, she doesn't seem to have sympathy or empathy for Anne. Where she does more for Edward and Andrew. But I don't think she does for Charles either. So it might not be a gender thing. Because she's telling Anne and Charles to basically suck it up, like deal with it. Well, so let's just back up a minute. When she and Philip are originally talking about, like, do we have favorites? They both kind of agree that Philip is all, or that Charles is awful. You <laughs> notice that? <laughs> He's like, no favorites, Anne. And then they're talking, and then, no, no, maybe it's at the end. They both, they, she gives him a run through of what the kids are doing, and they're both kind of like, well, Charles was kind of always lost. Like, he's whatever. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Okay. So here we go, Jen. We come to Charles. Charles and Diana are having some kind of fight at Highgrove. Diana has locked herself in her bedroom and is blasting. What is that kid's show? I don't know. It was so stupid. Bagpipes or something. I don't know. She refuses to lunch with the queen and he's like freaking out about it. So this is where I wanted to mention that I did hear on that Diana in her own words that her pregnancy was awful. That she was sick every day. Oh, God. And that nobody in the royal family had ever experienced morning sickness before. Of course not. Sure they didn't. <laughs> so she was, you know, this outsider who couldn't even handle being pregnant. And she was still very bulimic throughout it all. 
Oof. Yes. And there was this news story that she had had a scare by falling down the stairs, but she reveals that she threw herself down the stairs. Wow. That she and Charles had a big a bit of a row, and he went out to ride, and she threw, flung herself down the stairs while wow. pregnant. Jesus. Yeah, that that's dark. Yeah. And really, really sad. And she said that, um, again, this is only Diana's side of the story, but she says the royal family was sending psychiatrists and psychologists and putting her on a bunch of medication. And she said, all I ever wanted was just time, time mm-hmm. and patience. Well, but to, to be, to be fair, if she's bulimic and she's throwing herself downstairs, like she, she needs, she needs more than time. She needs therapy. Yeah. yeah. Like she needs to get to the bottom of that. And time and patience would have been nice also but to you, deal with that. You can see how, like you can see, I'm I'm not saying it's right in any way, but you see this growing impatience in Charles. Yeah, he's like, can't you just? But he's get such a spoiled, like, he's just a spoiled brat. That's just like, well, I don't even think it's that. Who can get along, Jen? Camilla. Yeah, Camilla wouldn't be struggling like this. And he's just comparing her to he's Camilla comparing her forever. constantly. Yeah. How do you compete with that? Like, how do you compete with? But there's also the thought that, and like Philip talked about this, that Camilla wouldn't have gotten along with that. Like she, she was too, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have had these struggles, but she would have had different struggles. Yeah. Like she wouldn't have had these struggles, but she, she would have had, she would have butted heads with them in a different way with his family. Yes. Okay. So she's refusing to even come out of her room. Elizabeth gets there and Charles takes her on a tour of the work he's doing in Highgrove. He's very into the gardens and the grounds. All of a sudden. And he does this whole thing where he says this house is going to be a monument to himself. He's insufferable. He's getting pretty insufferable. I I liked his character, but now I'm like, yeah, he's turned into an asshole. Yeah. God. He was okay when he was a kid and like even through the, that whales stuff, but like, eh, no, he's he's gone off the rails. He tries to recite literature to her and she's disinterested. They don't have, they don't have common interests. So at lunch, he's telling, he's telling her about the gardens and all he's going to do. And Elizabeth actually says to him, you better get your house in order and ask your unhappy wife upstairs what she wants. And, like, that was very – the director talked about that in the podcast. Like, that was very – he wanted to to have Elizabeth put her thumb on the scale, which was mm-hmm. very rare. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's the state of Charles and Diana's marriage at this point. Uh, Mark Thatcher is found alive. Turns out he was just fucking off in the Sahara. He was driving around the Sahara and and I was in the Sahara. Uh, I was on the Morocco side and we were not far from the Algerian border. And like, it's, there's nothing there, man. It's no, you're going to die out there. There's no question. If you wandered off, especially if you're in a car, cause like you could get out pretty far. Yeah. I don't know how you drive. Well, they have, I guess they're dune buggies. Right. Cause I mean, those, those dunes were 25 feet high. Like, Yep. I don't know how you get around that. I was on a camel. 
Philip makes jokes about him the entire episode. I, he seems like an idiot. I'm sorry. The conflict in the Falcons, Falklands is heating up. The, and Thatcher's so preoccupied with Mark's absence to handle it properly and it escalates. Which I found super interesting because she's like, I'm the exception to women. This is why. Where it's like when it came to it, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't deal with being a mother and running the country. You're not the exception to the rule. I feel like you put Carolyn Ingalls in there. She'll fucking deal with this shit. She'll deal with it. She'll deal with it. Yeah. Like it's, it's just ironic that she has this view of like other women. I feel like other women would have been stronger in this role. Yeah. At that, at that moment. So Elizabeth talks at the end with Philip about how she, like we talked about, had Edward and Andrew to prove herself that she could be the kind of mother to them that she couldn't be to Charles. And she talks about when Charles, when she had Charles, she swore the nannies wouldn't bathe him, but she ended up doing that watching from a chair. <laughs> At the end, she reveals that all of, well, I want to spend, before we get there, I just want to say it's revealed that Andrew is her favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. How'd that go? So in the end, she reveals that their children are lost and she has a touching discussion with Philip about her inadequacies as a mother. And he assures her that she is a good mother. And I thought it was a really touching scene between the two of them. I'm going to make an observation as a non-mother. I feel like all mothers think this. I think all oh. mothers think they're inadequate. Yeah, yeah. Like even, even the excellent mothers. Yes. Like, of course, somebody who's inadequate is going to think it. But I, I think no mothers give themselves enough credit. Yeah, you're right. So I just really, like, I, I almost live for seeing any kind of affection between them because I just like, like, I love them so much together. Philip and Elizabeth? Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see that he still loves her. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, But apparently Charles isn't seeing this. And he does, then he delivers <laughs> the line heard around the world. What? He reminds Elizabeth that it's her job to, quote, stick around, stay alive, and keep breathing. So that Charles doesn't have to become king. Save the country. Wow. She took to heart. Wow. Hi, everyone. Amy and Jenny here. We just want to talk to you today about a giveaway that we're going to be doing. We are going to be asking for your input and surveying our listeners through social media and through our website. So if you don't have social media, you can find our survey on our website, but I will also be throwing it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and everywhere else. Jen, why don't you tell them a little bit about the survey? This is just going to be a quick survey to just get some ideas of things like where you guys found us, what type of content you listen to. Very quick, like three questions, nothing nothing crazy. Uh, we will collect your email address, but that's just to contact the winner. Um, we will have other options there for you to opt into if you want to, but uh, for the purposes of the contest, we will just be contact using that to contact the winner. So if you could just give us five minutes of your time and give us some feedback, we'd really appreciate it. As you guys know, we've been working really hard to grow the podcast. So we want to know from you the things that you would like to maybe see in the future and how you're finding us, like Jenny said, and, and kind of, you know, where we're going to go from here. So what are you going to win, you might ask? So as you remember, we were promoting the Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, the documentary that was on HBO Max, which I heard was great. So we promoted that, and in exchange for us promoting it, they gave us a few albums, and we're going to give them to you. So we have two of these albums, and they are called the Bee Gees Main Course. And Jenny, 
Tell everybody a few of the songs that are on them. So this has Jive Talking, Winds of Change, Fanny, Be Tender with My Love, Come On Over, Edge of the Universe. Some good stuff. Nights on Broadway. Okay. Okay, good stuff. So all you have to do to enter to win one of these albums is to take our quick survey. So I know Amy's is not Amy is not a detail person. So let me give you the details on that. The contest will open January first, two thousand twenty-one, and you can and anyone who enters the contest between January first and January thirtieth will be eligible. It will be a random drawing from all those who have entered. What about people who enter on January thirty-first? Is there a thirty-first in January? <laughs> that would be January thirty-first. <laughs> Yes, I love it when she screws up. It seldom happens. So fill out the survey between January 1st, January 31st. You're entered to win one of two albums. We have two copies of this. Yep. We actually had three, but we're giving one to our dad. (laughs) Because like he deserves it. He puts up with us. Although not a patron yet. No, no. We were supposed to shame him about that. We're going to shame him. Neither one of our parents have signed up for our Patreon. Yeah, we're going to shame them. We're going to shame them publicly soon. All right, so thanks a lot, and look for that link. All right, let's keep trucking right along, and we'll just cover episode five. There's not a lot of, there's no Diana in here. No. We'll just talk briefly about what happened. So do you want to do an overview of the event? Sure. So basically, after a few years of Thatcher's rule, Britain is suffering a depression. One of the people hardest hit is Michael Fagan. He's a painter and a decorator who just can't find work. So he feels like this, again, is his interpretation that because he can't find work, his marriage has collapsed, his wife has left him taking the kids. Yep. After trying to go up against the man in the proper channels. Yep. And let me tell you, the bureaucracy in in the UK makes the US look like speedy. Yeah. One of these bureaucrats along the way tells him, you know what? Speak to the queen if you have issues with Thatcher. Speak to your MP mm-hmm. or the speak MP to the queen. To the queen, didn't he? Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, Thatcher goes all in on the war in the Falklands and they emerge victorious. This means nothing to the hardworking people of Britain who could barely put food on their tables. And it cost them a ton of money. Yep. So he decides he's going to go talk to the queen. Yeah. And he breaks and t- in not once, twice. Breaks in to Buckingham Palace. Sits on her bed or near her, near her bed. And they have a six minute, I think, conversation. And then he leaves. And the queen never reveals what it was about. The fact that someone was able to get into that building Mm -hmm. and get to her bedroom unnoticed Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Especially considering all, all that IRA shit was going on. Yes. Like, wow. So I feel like. And this was after Uncle Dickie was killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, wow. If I were her, I would have been fucking taking names. I've caught myself several times saying or making comments about people pre. Like right now we live in this nanny cam environment, right? Where everything is on. Everything is recorded. Everything's on camera. Everything. Yeah. I find myself always thinking, probably erroneously, that like murder was so much easier to get away with. <laughs> Things like this were so much easier to get away with. Or oh, I mean, technology. Yeah. I, I think that's correct. Okay. So I want to say something too. Margaret Thatcher, 
to me, this was interesting because her attitude towards all of this and Michael Fagan's pain that he felt illustrates an interesting trend that I think we saw in the 80s, which was this idea of letting the poorer of society sink or swim by their own volition. Well, they thought it was your personal responsibility. Like you didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like it was your fault that you were failing. It wasn't that this whole entire system is rigged against you and it's impossible to like rise through it. Like that was very much a a Reaganomics. Look at that shit. But I trickle down economics. Holy shit. So I guess that was happening in Britain as well. Well, I don't know if they they didn't necessarily have trickle down economics. Like, you know, Roger makes several comments about about that bootstrapping thing. That that was definitely yeah, that was definitely a thing there. So we're seeing in the U.S. we we took it a step further and said, "You make the rich richer. Yeah, (laughs) help out the rich. Don't worry, all that money will trickle down into regulation back." Who thought that was going to work? You get it back in goodwill. And honestly, that never fucking happened. And now we have major inequality because of it. Yeah. This reminded me, like, this was just shit that happened in the 80s, I, I agree. feel like. I agree. Like, like, we just have nut jobs breaking into things all the time. Like, it's, you're <laughs> right. It's harder now. Like, you would never, <laughs> maniacs, right? <laughs> like, you wouldn't see that now. Remember you would have people streaking across stadiums? Yeah. <laughs> Like that's the thing. Well, and I think just get into places that you just can't now. You just can't do it. Not to beat a drum here, but it's also before the advent of the mass shooting. Well, it's before that. And it's also post 9-11 too, don't forget. Pre-9-11. Well, now is post 9-11. Like security is way different. That changed everything. Like if you see someone run through an airport, I'm terrified. Like I'm hitting the desk. Yeah. It's a very different time. Like in the eighties, you'd be like, what's that asshole doing now? You're like, get behind something. Right. It's it's a run out of here. Very different world. It's very sad. Okay. At the end of every episode, Jenny and I look back and and think about a theme or some kind of interesting aspect of that source material material or event that has stuck with us from when we first saw it, or maybe something we figured out or, or worked out on the rewatch. We call it our why. It's designed to finish the statement, Gen X, this is why. So Jenny, what is your why for this? So this is why you should never, ever, ever marry somebody who's in love with somebody else, (laughs) even if that person is a prince. Oh, okay. Like, it's just don't, red flag, don't do it. It, 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 I want to... Is it though? Is it really? No, don't do it. Question: Like, was it? Don't do it. Like, I understand that Charles might have to make that choice for his duty. This isn't Diana's duty. This is not her obligation. No, I don't know. Would you? Would you know many people who would turn that down? I don't know. I mean, just the. She's nineteen, so she's not going to make a good decision. If she could turn it down, if that was an option. Like, would they come she, for her? You know, would it be? She could turn it down. No, she could have turned it down. Okay. Yeah. And the, I mean, this isn't 1200. She could have turned it down. <laughs> or they're just like you in. But I I know so many people who had doubts in their mind up till the day of their wedding. I'm walking down the aisle. And it's like, you know, like, 
You know, I think you know. I'll never forget my first wedding. I was like, in the limo ride over there, I'm thinking, should I just tell this guy to keep going? So you do like a Sex in the City shit? Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. Um, agreed, Jenny. So my why... So this is why I have such a problematic view of the paparazzi in the press. The paparazzi press mingling together, whatever. The way that they hounded this woman. I mean, when you hear out of her own mouth, she couldn't do anything. They bought the flat across from her and they took pictures of her in her bedroom. Yeah. Yep. They tapped her phones. They put cameras all over her. They followed her to and from work. They sat outside the daycare center that she worked in. You know what? This is still a thing. and It is still a thing. No, but I feel like what fueled it to the level it's at is like when all of those tabloids came out and like they pay all this money to get these pictures. Like they'll pay a ton of money for some kind of like secret picture that like you have to really invade somebody's privacy to get. And they're still around. Those things are awful. Oh, they're horrible. They're terrible. Give these people, and I'm not just talking about royals. I'm talking about like anyone. Actors. They do this to actors. They do this to everyone. Give them some goddamn privacy. What the hell? Why do we need to do this? Well, because they these these publications pay like five hundred thousand dollars for these pictures. Yeah, you're right. That's what's the that's the problem. If they weren't worth anything, people wouldn't do it. Yeah, because when we, you know, Jenny lives in New York. When we're there, if we ever see a celebrity. New Yorkers know how to act with that shit. I don't even talk talk to that person. We act like we're not impressed. Right. (laughs) So it's not the general population. No, it's not. It's because you can get $100,000 for this picture. It's unfair. It's disgusting. And it needs to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's why. Jenny, I'm telling you, you got to watch that. This poor woman. I mean, it is ironic that she died the way she did at the hands of the press because I don't think it's ironic. I think it was inevitable. It was inevitable. I mean, they were chasing her down all the time. They were doing that to Margaret. Remember in the earlier mm-hmm, seasons? Mm-hmm. Yep. She was talking like about, chasing her in cars and shit. Like in the early days, she was driving herself. And she's like, I speed up when the light is yellow and I fly through it so that they get stopped at red lights behind me. Like that's dangerous. Yeah. That's, that's how Amy drives. You don't fly through yellow lights if you're a princess. Jesus. Okay, so join us next time when we're going to be covering episodes 6, 7, and 8, Terra Nullius, The Hereditary Principle, and 48-1. So we will be probably paying a lot of attention to episode 6, which is their Australian tour and the beginning of the end of their marriage, pretty much. And it's like the one it's like the one week of their happy marriage yes. and then everything else falls to shit the one week and then we'll we'll touch on some events in episode 7 and 8 but 6 is probably going to be the big one all right so thanks for listening and we'll see you soon hi everyone amy here thanks so much for listening we really appreciate it if you like what you hear please consider leaving a five star review it really helps us to grow the podcast if you'd like to support us please consider joining our patreon feed patreon.com slash gen x this is why we're also on facebook and we have a facebook group called the meme bees m-e-m-e-b you can find this and all other information including an email address for contact at www.genxthisiswhy.com thanks so much and thanks for listening
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.